We're going to read from Luke 18. Um, we are continuing in the book of Luke in the New Testament. Uh, verses beginning from 31 to 42. Luke chapter 18, verses beginning from 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And as, and as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. morning church thank you Raven well this is a very common text something that we've we've read probably many times before but God has something really sweet for us today he's he's had he had something for me in this text and I'm eager to to dive in I mean I'm so glad I get to do this so many times in my life I have felt particularly weak like just a month ago I shared it from, uh, from the pulpit last time I had COVID and that came just after a really unexpected and painful surgery. Uh, a little before that, maybe last year, I think of a really challenging time in our church life, a time in ministry that threatened the unity of our church, left me feeling needy. Or back when I was in college, just having no idea how I was going to pay my bills. Or I, I think back to, to early 20s when I had made a mess of relationships because of my sin. And in each situation... I couldn't see what I needed before me. I, I couldn't see the way forward, and it left me feeling needy for God. I was, I was hungry for him. I needed him. I know many of your situations in this last year have been similar. A lot of suffering in this community as, as Pastor Scott was praying. Just so much sickness and, and financial issues, scares in pregnancy and childbearing and just the list goes on and on. And in every single one of these situations, it is so difficult to understand what God is up to. It, we as humans, we're, we're finite. And so, so often we're just like, God, where are you? What are you doing in the midst of this suffering? I think I forget so quickly. And I think we forget so quickly that God actually works through our sufferings to show us our need for him. It's a design of the Lord. We see it all over the Bible. It's a design of the Lord to help us see our need for him. And when we see our need for him, we're actually rich. We're actually blessed when our faith is strengthened. And we need that because when the table is spread before us with abundance, when we have everything we need, it is so easy to be faithless. Isn't it true that when we're most wealthy and healthy, 
that we're, most faithful, we're often the most faithless. It's when we're needy that we, we often see our need for God. Today we're going to see the story of, of the least in the society. A blind beggar put great faith on display. And I think it's going to challenge us. It's going to show us that, that this is the rich man. This is the, this is the truly rich guy. And the, the, the point, the big main point that I want to help us get to today is, is to see that the path to more faith is actually the path of the cross. The path to more faith is actually the path of the cross. So we're going we're to unpack that. Let's go ahead and dive into the text. It'll be up on the screen and you can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like. Verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So Jesus tells his disciples actually three times. This is the third time in Luke that he predicts his death. And so he, he, he says, hey, we're going up to Jerusalem. What's significant about Jerusalem? Jerusalem is actually all over Luke. That's because Luke has a structure that's geared around a travel narrative. It's all leading to Jerusalem. Why, why Jerusalem? Because that's where Jesus was going to die. It's the climax of his ministry. It's the means to his victory. But we're told that the disciples don't, don't understand. We're going to get that there in just a second. Jesus explains what's going to happen to him there. Verse 32, For he, the Son of Man, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day... He will rise. Jesus is here summarizing what the prophets have foretold about the sufferings of the Messiah. I think Jesus is alluding to Isaiah 53. We were there just a few weeks back. And in Daniel 7:13, where we see explicitly that the Son of Man is going to be, he's going to suffer at the hands of Gentiles. But I think this is speaking, Jesus is speaking more broadly to the entire Old Testament prophetic witness that that the the Messiah was going to suffer. Even back in Genesis chapter 3, we're told that even as he crushes the head, the offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent, that his heel would be bruised. So Jesus is, is, he's summarizing what the prophets have foretold about him, and he's adding detail. There's there's something here that Jesus, he sees that three days, he's going to go through all these things, and then after three days, he's going to rise again. He speaks with incredible detail, doesn't he? I find that amazing that, that he's so detailed in what's coming for him. I find it even more amazing that Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to him, even down to the fact that he's going to be flogged. And he still goes. He, he's going. If that doesn't show you the love of our God, his, his, man, his tenacity, his grit, he's after you. He's after us. He knows what's coming and he still goes headlong into it. He heads to Jerusalem. He's taking his disciples with him. Now Luke makes a big point about the disciples' lack of understanding. It says three times, Luke emphasizes it in 34, the disciples understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. The disciples could not comprehend that their Messiah would die this way. This is, this is uh, not what the Jews imagined. They imagined triumph for their Messiah, not death. 
we too, if we had a, a leader who was saying, hey, this is the path of victory, and they're like, we're like, yeah, let's go, and he's like, I'm going to die. You're going to suffer too. We would be like, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> like that's, you can't be the leader we're going to follow if you're saying we're gonna all going to just go die. Like, can't be it. So they don't understand. I think they, they don't understand, and we, we, we wouldn't understand too, that the path of victory was the path of death. Why is Luke emphasizing this? He obviously wants us to see it. I think that Luke is highlighting the blindness of the disciples in order to show us that the foolishness of the cross cannot be received through natural sight. It's it's a foolish message to humans. We cannot comprehend with our logic that God's plan of redemption is first through the cross. That requires faith to believe, doesn't it? So we'll come back to this. We'll come back to the cross. But as we transition to the story of the blind man, I just, I really want you to see that Luke wants us to connect these stories. He wants us to connect the blindness of the disciples, even the blindness of the rich young ruler that we learned about last week. He wants us to connect that to the blind man that we're about to learn about. So let's dive into this next narrative. Verse 35, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Jericho, we know, is about 17 miles from Jerusalem, so Jesus was getting close to his destination, the point of his death, and in fact, this is last, the last miracle recorded by Luke. So he's getting near, and there we're, we learn about this blind beggar. We know from Mark's account that his name is Bartimaeus. It's a, it's a common story, blind Bartimaeus. Luke also introduces him as a certain blind man. It's not as clear in this translation, but in, if you look at it in the Greek, you'll see Luke introduces him as a certain blind man. And this is important because Luke introduces the rich ruler in the same way. He says, a certain ruler. Again, I think he's trying to show us these different individuals and help us to contrast their responses to Jesus. So let's carry on. Verse, verse 36, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Verse 38. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Mark's account records him throwing off his garment, jumping to his feet. I imagine him just jumping up and down, just trying to make a commotion. Jesus, he hears the name of Jesus and he can't be shut up. Imagine this moment, how powerful this would have been. This blind man had been sitting there most of his life, probably in that same spot, relying on people's mercy, probably led there day in and day out so that he can make enough, so that he can survive. This is not like our situation in America where there's so many government programs to care for the disabled. I, I saw something, I think, like this in Bangladesh. I, I visited Joanna's brother in Bangladesh a few years back and, and saw blind people and crippled, laying with faces in the dirt, hands spread out for hours upon hours a day, waiting upon the mercy of another. This is a pitiful situation, and the man is obviously desperate when he hears the name of Jesus. He hears that there's hope for him, and he cries out. We're told that, that, that the people tried to silence him as he screamed, Son of David, have mercy on 
me, it says in 39, those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. I love the persistence of this man. He's not, he, he doesn't allow society's voices of, you know, uh, shame. Hey, shut up. This is an important man. You, you get back. He cried out all the more in desperation for, for his, his hope, his help. His faith was strong. His persistence shows it. Church, the story is never over for you and your suffering because of our God who is compassionate. If, if you feel like, man, I've cried out enough. If other people are saying, that's enough. Like you've asked God for it, stop. No, we see the man crying out in desperation. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, he cries out all the more. He's desperate for the Lord. The story is not over. If, the, if Satan tempts you to despair, keep crying out to our compassionate God. He listens. He hears you. And he will show up like he did here. Verse 40. We're told that even as all the people were not helping him, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Imagine the man just trembling. Lord, let me receive my sight. I think Jesus knew exactly what this man needed. So why does he ask him, what do you want me to do? I think he's eliciting faith. He wants, he wants the confession of the man. He wants the man to just simply ask. Jesus knows exactly what you need at every single moment. And it moves his heart when you come to him, when you get close to him in relationship and say, God, I need you right now. He doesn't despise it. He loves it. He's moved by the heart that says, I need you. The blind man says, Lord, let me recover my sight. That Lord is, is not a simple sir. It's, it's a submission to his master. To submit to the word of submission to his king. Now listen to Jesus' response to his request. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. It's actually just one word in Greek, anablepson, see. It's just a command. He just says, see. And the text says, immediately his sight was restored. And the man began praising God. And all those around him began praising God because this man they had watched for years beg on their streets is now seeing. Can you imagine the moment? Man, that would cause me to praise if I saw this guy who couldn't see, see. And we will praise him in just a little bit. But before we praise him with song and with worship, we're going to just dive in a little deeper to that second phrase of the Lord. Your faith has made you well. Where does Jesus see faith in this man? Well, we already talked about his, his persistence talked about how he's he's calling him lord let's dive into this title son of david what is that son of david have mercy on me we may not be familiar with that but but the jews would have been extremely familiar with that text from second samuel 
chapter 7. I don't have time to dive in there, but what, what that is is a promise from God to David, the king, that one of his descendants would forever reign on his throne. This is a messianic promise. In that same promise, it is told that this, this son of David would be the son of Yahweh. So these are not careless or ignorant words. He's not just throwing out some random title, son of David. No, this is a confession of faith that Jesus is the promised Messiah that all of Scripture had been pointing to. The man's confession is that Jesus is the Messiah. He also sees faith in his cry, have mercy on me. You see, when, when people come to the Lord with empty hands, that's faith. Because it turns faith away from self, away from possessions, away from self-righteousness, and says, I need you. Help is not in me, it's not in stuff, it's in you. That's faith, and that's what this man had when he cries out, have mercy on me. Think of the faith of the, the tax collector in the temple just a couple weeks back. He beats his chest in the temple. Lord, have mercy on me. He's not like the Pharisee who stands far off. And, Glad I'm not like those guys. He's not like the rich young ruler who says, Jesus, I've already done all that stuff. He doesn't come with self-righteousness. He doesn't come with possessions. He doesn't have anything. This man is empty. He's broken. He's blind. He's the least in society. And he says, desperately, have mercy on me. It's in Jesus alone that the man will find hope and healing. Such a different approach than the rich ruler who's nonchalant as he comes to him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go to the next stuff. No, this man is desperate. Oh, Lord, have mercy, son of David. Making a commotion is desperate. Reminds me of that hymn, which we're, we're going to sing, Rock of Ages, in a little bit, but it says... Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. That is saving faith, church. Helpless. Empty hands, right? Naked. It's not until we see our, our, that we're truly blind, that we're truly beggars like this man, that we'll come to the Lord in faith, true faith. Oh, how prone we are to be like our first parents and try to find help in ourselves, we come to the Lord with full hands as we think we have. Look at all I have to offer God. Or we try to find help in our money, in our work, in our hobbies. We try to find healing in sex, in drugs, alcohol. We've got all these towers of security that we try to come to the Lord with. We try to find healing with everything but God, like our first parents who saw, thought that there was a lack in God as they followed Satan, the liar. 
But listen to Jesus' words to us from Revelation chapter three. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Oh, if you want to know true riches. If you feel poor and you're running after money or a job or something like that to fulfill your need. Come to Jesus. He says he's like gold refined in fire. There's nothing more pure. There's nothing more valuable than him. If you want to know cover for your shame. Cover for your nakedness. Come to Jesus. He says he's like white clothes to cover you. If you want to know healing, he says, come to me. I, I have healing. Like I'm like a healing salve for your eyes. Come to Jesus. If you have not surrendered to him in that sort of way, I'm empty-handed, Lord. I'm wretched, pitiful, blind. I have nothing. He simply invites you to come to him empty-handed. We've got to stop pretending that we have it all together. That's when we'll find healing. When we come to Jesus empty-handed. I love one Luke scholar. He helped me this week as he, as he writes this. The irony of ironies is that the blind now see and the unrighteous become righteous. Whereas the seeing have become blind and righteous have become unrighteous. Why? Because boasting of their own self-righteousness, they do not accept the only real righteousness, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Isn't this what Jesus meant when he said that many who are last will be first and the first will be last? The Pharisee who had social status and all the the, the account of, of righteousness that he brought before the Lord. He wouldn't receive Jesus and find true riches because he was blinded by it. He was blinded by it. He was blinded by self-righteousness. But the blind man, the tax collector, those who are last, they receive healing. They receive their sight. The blind man didn't have. He was he was weak, and he may, have been continue, he may have continued to be weak, but he was the one in this story who was justified. The tax collector, he is the one in the story who was justified. The blind man followed Jesus. He joyfully praised God, while the, the rich man, though he had his riches, he clung to his riches, he still walked away without Jesus. This is not just a word for unbelievers today, but this is for us, church, right now. I want to try to bring this home for us. The truth is that the reality we face daily is that we are forgetful of our need for the Lord, right? We're so forgetful. We're so often no different than the Pharisees and the rich ruler. Truthfully, we're all like the blind beggar. We're all like the tax collector in our need for Jesus. And yet somehow we come to him trying to say, hey, I got all this stuff. We allow our security towers of self-righteousness 
or wealth or other things to keep us from coming to him with the same sort of persistence and desperation that this blind man comes with. What is hindering you today? What is hindering you from having this same sort of cry to God that the blind man had? Well, may I suggest to you that, like the disciples, that you might be failing to see your identity as those who are to call, called to take up their cross and follow Jesus. We're called to take up our cross like our Lord. When John writes to the, to Revela, to the church of Revelation, he's, he introduces himself as a brother and companion in suffering. He says, yes, we're, we're, we're a companion in the kingdom, but we're a companion and brothers in suffering and patient endurance. He says, the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Church, the kingdom belongs to us. Heaven belongs to us. But in this life, as we follow Jesus, we are called to patiently endure. Sufferings are ours. Endurance is ours. Part of our identity as disciples of Jesus is that we take up our cross but we live in a culture steeped in prosperity. We live in a culture that, that runs not after Jesus with desperation, but after wealth and prosperity. The hope for this world is not Jesus, but money, sex, power. It's everything but him. So how in the world are we going to stand in this culture? How do we not fall into that trap? How do we not grow faithless because of our prosperity? to embrace the path of the cross. Here's what I mean. When we embrace the path of the cross, when we give ourselves away, when we adopt, when we foster, when we give beyond our own means, when we love those who are unlovable, when we do the things that the Lord calls us to do, it leaves us feeling empty. It leaves us crying out to God for mercy, for help, for those that we're serving, for our own hearts. When we pursue the path of the cross, we cannot constantly, even if we're wealthy, we cannot feel like, man, I'm, I'm good. When we take the path of the cross and we serve beyond ourselves, it leads us to faith. It drives us to feel our need for God. When you're looking around and all you see is wealth, health, and prosperity... I want you to praise God. I want you to thank him for that. That's a good thing. I believe that heaven, it's a taste of heaven when we have those things. So praise him. But don't let the praise end there. Let the praise drive you to give away. Ask the Lord, what is it that you're asking me to do with this prosperity, with this wealth? What would you invite me to give? As we take the path of the cross, we'll find ourselves needy for the Lord. We'll find ourselves hungry for him, desperate for him. I want to speak to those who don't look around their life and see prosperity, but who, who feel just like everything is suffering and pain. I want you to know that this story highlights the riches of the blind man, the one who was least, who had nothing we cannot understand so often when we're walking through suffering and trials what God is up to, but so often his suffer, the suffering we endure is meant to bring us to Jesus. And if we come to Jesus, we are richer than the one who has everything and without Jesus. Isn't that true? 
We are rich if we have Jesus. And if your suffering drives you to want him more, to need him more, to cry out to him more desperately, then you are rich. I need you to know also that you're not alone in this. Jesus walked this path before you. He was headed on a journey to Jerusalem, daily suffering, daily enduring the pains of this world so that he could empathize with you. Countless saints have endured through the centuries what you are enduring. You're not alone in your suffering. And I also want you to know that just as Jesus would raise again on the third day. There is a third day coming for you. Your sufferings are not forever. Your sufferings have a purpose. God is good in them and what he's teaching you, but they will not last forever. You have an inheritance waiting, amen? God will bring you through it. We will rise again. I wanna just point to this amazing point in Hebrews chapter 12. He says this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. When you, when you hear that word discipline, I want you to think the care of a father with a son trying to train them in things, simple things like taking a bath. <laughs> My son hated taking his first bath. And then he loved it. It was like his favorite thing. But he had to be trained Eventually, he's going like, to like having his face clean, but now he still hates it. He finds it so painful every time I put that washcloth on his face. He hates being dressed. He wants to stay naked all day. <laughs> but I need to clothe the kid. I need to train him. He's going to hate potty training. Some of you know that well. Walking through it. But he needs it. God is treating you as sons. He's, he disciplines us for our good. It says that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You are being trained by it, by your suffering. You are being trained by it. God is treating you as sons as you endure. That you might share his holiness. That you might gain this harvest of righteousness. That you might become like him. That you might be truly rich. In your poverty, in your nakedness, in your brokenness. As you come to Jesus, he is giving you riches he is giving you life. And if we learn this lesson, church, if we come to understand that when we walk through sufferings that God is good in them and he's working on our behalf, we can be joyful in our suffering. I was with the Lebanon congregation this morning and I, I, I just said, man, we, we can, one day we're, if, we, if we understand this, we can understand that our wrinkles are not forever. <laughs> They're reminding us that we're going to get a new body, a forever facelift, right? Like, <laughs> I have like crazy amount of smile lines. That's the positive way of putting it, right? It's my wife. She always says, it's smile lines. It's not wrinkles. But I'm going to, I'm going to, man, we're going to look young. We're going to feel young. 
when we enter the kingdom. But right now, all these sufferings, all these burdens, everything we endure as our bodies break and we feel lack everywhere we look, God is teaching us that we need him, that we're like the blind beggar. We're so desperately needy for him. He wants us to long for him like the beggar. Main point I said was that the path to more faith is the path of the cross. The path to more faith is always going to be the path of the cross. So whether you are just simply walking in the path of the cross because you're enduring great suffering or because you are wealthy and prosperous, but you're saying, I'm going to lay down what I have. This is the place of faith. This is what God invites us to. So whether you're feeling poor or prosperous, the same call, it's the same call for us today from Jesus. Come to him. Come to him as needy, desperate beggars as we are, just as we are. He's, he's preparing us for glory in this process as we come to him. Come to Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith and it's him who endured the path of the cross. He despised its, cha- its shame and is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God and he will take us there too. That's where we're headed. Amen. We're going to pray together. God, we thank you. You are good. You're a good father. You're a good father. You're working in all of our suffering. You're working in our pain You're bringing us to true riches. You're bringing us to true covering. Lord, I ask that if anyone's suffering in this room, you would bring healing. I don't want death. I don't want sorrow or suffering for them. And I don't, I don't, that's not what you want either. You want to save. You're going to give us eternal happiness and wealth and prosperity. But until that day, Lord, help us to trust you. For those who are prosperous, Lord, let us not grow blind and faithless through our prosperity. But Lord, let us lay down our lives as you, Jesus, did. You were the most prosperous of all and you left the throne. You became poor so that we might be rich. Lord, increase our faith. Whatever it takes, would you increase our faith? Help us to come to you desperate. Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Lord, we love you and we praise you. You're worthy of worship. You're the one we come to who's able to heal. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Everybody said, amen.